eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... The charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh-uh. Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Ask me. today you guys already know this because you sent in so many questions it's a little weird to give an intro to somebody that has this credit of hosting the tonight show for over 20 years um but it's jay leno and he's on my podcast thanks (laughs) um so you and i met just for everyone that doesn't know uh, a couple years ago we got asked by the today show to perform in afghanistan for one show one show one night right that is right you corroborate that yeah, that seems fair. Yeah. And um, you were very nice. I was very nervous to talk to you, but we were both in the lounge and I just sat right next to you and you just started talking to me. And I have I have wiggled my way into your heart ever since. This is the second time. Exactly. <laughs> coming on my podcast. And uh, you had me on your show. You had me on Jay Leno's Garage recently. Well, right. yeah. It hasn't aired yet. But uh, while we were there, I trapped you. You said, okay. So people got a lot of questions for you and I know you got go a lot ahead. of answers. Here we go. Fire away. New York Fred for you, who's also my father, says, Jay, did you ever get to meet the original Tonight Show host, the brilliantly talented and very funny Steve Allen? If so, can you share a story about him? Oh, yeah. I love Steve Allen. In fact, I was very close with Steve's wife until the day she died. I used to send her flowers every year. Uh, she was a nice lady. Steve was really a very funny, he was that first sort of, the guy most like Steve would probably be Letterman because he wasn't so much a stand-up comedian, although Dave was a stand-up, he didn't like doing stand-up very much. Uh, he liked just being a raconteur, just talking. Steve could play piano. Uh, just a very talented guy, music, a little bit of everything. Yeah, very nice. I, I like Steve a lot. I would see him occasionally. Um, throughout the 90s and until he passed away. And uh, I went over to his office. He was playing piano and, you know, just looking at his various awards and talking about The Tonight Show in the early days and Ed Sullivan and his feud and just all of that. So, yeah, to answer the question, I did meet him. He's very nice. Okay, yeah. I love that he had a feud with Ed Sullivan because whenever you don't like another comic, you're like, am I the only one who doesn't like this person? It's good to know that beef goes at every level. Well, see, the way, it, what it was, was uh, the, the feud was because the Tonight Show, I think, paid 
$500 or whatever it was to be a guest. Ed Sullivan, well, here's, here's when um, Alan King was on the Ed Sullivan show, mm-hmm. he got $12,500 in appearance, appearance in the 50s. Right. Which would be the equivalent of pretty close to $100,000. I mean, my parents paid $19,000 for our house in 59. Mm-hmm. So... 12,000 for one five minute spot on it. So, and it sounds silly, but TV was bigger then than it is now. Cause although there weren't as many, everybody, that everybody. Had a TV right. I, I, I mean, that was true. when Johnny had the tonight show, when you're on the tonight show, everybody the next day saw you. There are only three things on late at night. And Johnny was 60% of that or 70% of that. So had much more of an impact than it does today. Right. Absolutely. That was the only game in town. Lore star and Lily Shumlung says uh, they both grew up watching jaywalking and want to know about jaywalking. They say, hey, Liza and Jay, I'm a true elder millennial. I grew up watching The Tonight Show hosted by you most of the time sneaking out of my room instead of sleeping. Who's your favorite jaywalker? I distinctly remember the woman who thought that D.C. in Washington stood for the capital. Much thanks to you both. Thank you so much. Well, you know, the, the fun part about jaywalking was we didn't try to find people that were obviously mentally deficient in some way. <laughs> no, you don't want to mean, I mean, you're not, you don't want to be cruel. Right. We tried to find normal people who, you know, the real secret to it was between 19 and 40, there's some hormonal thing that happens with people. They're more worried about impressing other the other sex or getting a date or we found if we did jaywalking with eighth graders, they got all the questions. And if we did jaywalking with senior citizens or people even over 55, they got all the questions. The people who screwed up the most were between 19 and 40 because, oh, is this the right answer? That I mean, my favorite question was, how was Mount Rushmore formed? And the answer we got more than once was erosion. <laughs> Not only did wind and rain pick, I guess the four of our, the greatest, formed, four of our greatest. Yeah, yeah, nature had a preference. I guess the formed. I think that's yeah. that's weird wording because then it makes you think of nature versus made. But okay, yeah. no, that's dumb. And they were, we never talked to more than twenty people, and we always used at least twelve. Everybody gave us something. It was it was pretty amazing. We weren't out there all day. We weren't editing. And we, we never had a plan. We never had somebody, uh, you say this. Right. Because you don't need to. Like, well, what? Yeah. You know, what? Yeah, I mean, you couldn't believe people actually <laughs> said the things they said. I can't, I can't believe that people are, I've done man on the street stuff before and I love talking to people, but I hate actually doing it because it's hot. People on drugs want to fight you. And I can't believe people sign off on it. They're like, yeah, it's okay that I said that weird thing. That weird racist thing. Just keep well, it. You know, as long as people know that you're not, because we never tried to embarrass and humiliate people, although we did, uh, they embarrass themselves. You know, we never sure. went for the obvious joke. You know, it's the same rule I used when I was working clubs and I would t- talk to the audience. If there's a big fat guy in the audience and he's heckling me, I make fun of his tie or something else. And after a while, the guy realizes how come he's not going for the obvious? And they realize I'm not there to kill a guy. I'm just there to have fun with the guy. And then eventually that's sort of how you win them over. Mm-hmm. You know, this happened to me once. I had a road rage incident. The only time I ever did this, I was in traffic one day and the guy's behind me, beep, beep. You know, I said, 
Oh, I said, I pull up. I said, go around me. As I go by, he goes, gives me the finger, you know. So I pull up and I go, what's that all about? He starts swearing at me and yelling at me, you know. So I look at him and I said, let me guess. What are you about, 45, 50? You're fat, you're bald, you're divorced, your kids hate you. Your best year was what, high school? Uh, you've had not a date in how long? And then the guy, I realized everything I said was on the, and the guy starts crying. Oh, he no. Goes, <laughs> he goes, you're right. I said, pull over, pull over. So now I get in his car, you know, I go, look, I'm sorry. Goes, no, everything you said is true. Everything's just crying. <laughs> I, I said, you got kids? I have kids. My daughter's speaking. I said, does your daughter like Taylor Swift? Yeah, she loves it. I said, have Taylor Swift on the show. You want to bring your daughter to the show? I said, bring your daughter. I'll introduce you to Taylor Swift. So I invited the guy and he came. And by this time, he was a whole different guy. You know, the daughter was, oh, my dad knows somebody who knows Taylor Swift. And the whole, and it, and it turned it around. I realized, you know, it's easier to be nice. It's too much trouble to be a, <laughs> to be a prick. And it was just funny. But everything I said about the guy, well, sure, he was fat, he was bald, he was divorced, he hadn't had a date in years, his kids hated him. And <laughs> this, I, I realized I had literally stabbed the guy in the heart. And I, I felt so bad about this when he started crying. Uh, but the, the Taylor Swift thing, man, and Taylor was great. She met the kid and was very sweet and gave the kid an album. And, you know, so it worked out okay. Now you're never not hosting. That takes a lot because uh, I would have been like, you started it and I finished it. How do you like that? That's sweet. <laughs> That's very sweet of you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It happened to me. I didn't think it would, but it happened to me. I had a nasty bout of postpartum depression. Now, there's nothing to be ashamed about in talking about what you're dealing with, and there's nothing to be ashamed about in talking about it with someone. I definitely saw a therapist these last couple weeks because, you know, I spend my time giving advice to others, but I could use a little advice myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I'll tell you what, when you're already stressed or anxious, the last thing you want to do is battle traffic and sit in a waiting room and get your parking validated. I'm sorry, is that just an LA thing? You don't need to add all that. You can just sit in the comfort of your own home or a chair you like outside and you can talk to someone from BetterHelp. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time. No additional charge and it doesn't hurt their feelings. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com Eliza today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Eliza. I'm busy and this time of year gets even busier. I've had my baby. I'm back to work. I'm at meetings. I'm on tour. I'm running around and I don't always have time to sit down for a meal with my family. Sometimes I get home from set so late and I just need to eat something nutritious and go to bed. And that's why I like Factors fresh, never frozen meals because they're dietitian approved and they're ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy I am and I'm busy, I always have time to get a nutritious, great tasting meal. Factor has over 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So I never get bored. I'm trying to do less meat in general and they have wonderful vegan and veggie options. I just made a vegan mushroom marsala and I made an onion risotto. Just because you're eating vegetarian doesn't mean you can't eat deliciously. It had roasted garlic green beans. It was scrumptious. Head to factormeals.com slash Eliza50 and use code Eliza50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Eliza50 at factormeals.com slash Eliza50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. 
Well, it's finally happening. The weather is finally getting warmer. So it's time to say goodbye to the jackets and cozy sweaters we've been hibernating in all winter. And it's time to say hello, bonjour, to shorts and t-shirts. And if you've been wanting to update your wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, Quince is for you. I talk about Quince a lot because I really believe in a sustainable capsule wardrobe. And there's no reason you can't have a sustainable, timeless wardrobe for every season. And Quince has got you covered with premium linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable, silk tops, hello. And the best part is all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Dressing well shouldn't break the bank. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Look well. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash Eliza for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Eliza to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Eliza. Um... Yeah, you have a lot of patience because you've been famous for so long. It could be very easy to just not want to deal with people. I remember when you and I landed in the Middle East, nobody, I don't know if you remember this, nobody was there to pick us up. And you and I were just together. I'm clinging to you because you're my only ticket out. And no one was there to pick us up. So we had this manifest on us. So we picked a phone number for the USO and you called it. And you're like, it's Jay Leno. And they were like, if Jay Leno was coming, we would know about it. And they hung up on us. Do you remember this? Right, I do remember this. Right, I do remember that. <laughs> we were surprised. Yeah. You had, I would have been living. And you had so much patience. You were so sweet. At no point were you like, you guys fucking left us in the middle of, of this airport, no one got us. I am a huge believer in low self-esteem. I think it's the key to success. <laughs> I'm, I'm dyslexic. I was a terrible student. I can remember coming around the corner just to hear my parents going, because my brother was smart. He went to Yale, you know, and I could hear my parents go, what are we going to do with Jay? What are we going to do with Jay? <laughs> I just remember hearing that sentence. And I go, what? What's up? Oh, what? Oh, hi, son. How are you? You know, my parents felt terrible that I heard this, but I was sort of like the dumb kid. And I, so I always tried to, I realized, you know, the key is really listening. And if you don't think you're the smartest person in the room, don't say anything. It's like when I did the Tonight Show, I hired the best director, the best lighting people, like, fine. I let them do their job. I mean, yeah. so many shows where uh, the star of the show wants to run this and I feel the lighting should be like this and, and then there's animosity and people are pissed off. We had the same crew for the 22 years I was there, pretty much the same crew, except ones that got a better opportunity or got married or, or something like that. And it was the same writers, the same everybody, because we all sort of got along and you learn not to... I. You know, most people can't do anything. Yeah. And some of us can do one thing. And there are a few people that can do three or four things. But I'm one of those people, I seem to be able to do one thing pretty good. And that seems to, so I leave it at that. I let other people do what they do. And I realize, you know, when you're in show business, you're only as good as the audience that comes to see you. Yeah. And if you wind up pissing people off and getting in fights all the time, I, you know, the reason people fail really has anything to do with their talent. Because if you have talent, that'll get you there. The reason they fail is sex, drugs, gambling, money, greed, and just one of those, too straight, too gay. You know, I always used to, I always used to tell comedians, if you can physically make it to the stage for seven years, you'll be a success. Mm. And people go, what are you talking about? But it's true. But you think of the people who fail. 
They fail because A, they're sick of doing their act. They've done it so many times, they hate it now. And they begin to resent the audience that laughs at it. Right. Because they're not coming up with new stuff. Or they party every night, or they drink, or they're somebody else, I'm better than they are. You know, I remember once I had, do you remember Joy Bishop? Do you remember that name? I know he's that one he's of the, one of the Rat Pack. Yeah, of course. I had Joey on the Tonight Show and he comes out and he sits down. He's, he's funny. I said, I said, Joey, thank you. My next comedian, very funny. And please welcome Louis Anderson. So Louis's doing a stand up and I feel this tug on my shoulder. Hey, you think that's funny what I did? I go, Joey, no, you, I said, Joey, you were funny just naturally. He's just doing an act. You were, it was, and then, (laughs) hey, you think that's funny? You think he's getting more laughs than me? Oi. He was so furious yeah. that Louis was getting. Then when Louis came over, he kind of gave him the cold show. And I'm like, really? Yep. I mean, you're yeah. one of the rat pack. You're saying, really? This still goes on? I mean, you can't give it up. And I, and I thought, here's a guy who's probably been miserable his whole life. What's the point of doing this if you can't enjoy it and enjoy it yeah. for your friends? You know, you as a comedian, you can't do every job that's out there. So I would I would tell other comics, uh, Seinfeld, you should call this guy or, you know, like when I, you know, Steve Martin brought Johnny Carson in to see me. Mm. And I was always grateful for that. And I brought Johnny in to see Ellen DeGeneres. And, that, and you know, and each one helps the other because in show business, you'll ultimately get more work from your friends than you'll ever get from agents or managers. Other comedians, other performers will help you. It's, although it can be a cutthroat business, it isn't necessarily so. I mean, people are always very nice to me. So consequently, I try to be nice to other people, help them out when I can. And it, it pays off. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think if you look at comics who don't do well, it's because they're deeply miserable and they find a way to sink their own ship. But you're right. It's rarely because someone just isn't talented, although that does oh, yeah. happen. Uh, did you tell Joey Bishop he's the least memorable of all the Rat Pack and that's why he's... <laughs> Probably so upset. Well, it was just weird, you know. Uh, he was a very bitter guy, and and I just thought, what an awful way to go through life, you know. I mean, I realized twenty years ago. Okay, anything past this point is gravy. Yeah. My parents got to see me be successful. Okay, I'm the only one left. Who am I trying to impress? So just, just enjoy yourself. Whatever happens, happens. <laughs> enjoy your and, life. Yeah, enjoy your life. Exactly. Loris Dwyer. Loris and Dwyer says, was there anyone Jay regrets never having interviewed slash been on his show? Well, I wish I could have had Jack Benny on the show. Jack yeah. uh, died before I got. Uh, George Burns, I knew. I, I didn't get to know Jack. Uh, as a kid, you know, I remember, I mean, literally being in a crib and listening to Elvis Presley. And I thought, well, that'd be kind of cool to meet. I don't know. He passed away long before. Uh, but, you know, I got to meet just about everybody. Yeah. I mean, some, you know, one of my favorites was Sean. I love Sean Connery. Sean Connery, you know, Sean Connery was uh, Big Tam, they used to call him, you know. <laughs> and uh, he was he was third runner-up Mr. Universe, 1953. Did you know that? No, I did not. When you hear the term man's man, yeah, he was a big, tough guy. And he was just a streak. He was a longshoreman. He was a fighter. And the producers were smart to get him, put him in a Savile Row suit, you know, clean him up. So he always had that sense of danger about him, which mm. came across on the screen. But whenever he comes to the night show, Jay, have you got a joke? Jay, Jay what's the joke of the day? <laughs> and he would, he would laugh like a man. He would laugh like, <laughs> 
huge, just this manly laugh. You know, Jay, that's a knee slapper. <laughs> you just have this huge laugh. And so whenever he would come, I always try to have some sort of filthy joke from Jay. Have you got a joke, Jay? What's the joke? Uh, and I would, oh, and he was, he was the only guy that ever took a shower at the Tonight Show. Jay, have you got some towels? We'll take a shower. You know, wow. take a and but but he was uh, he was a big tough guy but he just used to make me laugh and we went out to dinner a couple of times and the, the whole restaurant would rock when he laughed i mean he he laughed like a pirate that <laughs> you know like like he got a flag in a veil oh gee that's a good one gee how does that do good gee and you know, yeah just just a character i, I love that him. that's an awesome nice answer guy. yeah yeah, he was a great guy. Allison, the traveling wino, says, now that you're out of this realm, who do you think is the best late night show host currently on TV? And who do you think would be a great host? Well, it's hard to, you know, everybody's very good. Uh, Fallon is the one most like Carson because Carson, Carson can play drums and do magic. And uh, Jimmy is an incredible mimic. Uh, you know, I heard him do Neil Young and a couple other people. And I thought he was lip syncing. Yeah. And I went, oh, he was singing. Uh, Colbert writes brilliant jokes. Um, Kimmel, very funny. You know, whenever I watch Kimmel host the Oscars, I'm always amazed at how good the jokes are because he 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 knows jokes. Mm -hmm. Some he writes himself, obviously. And obviously you have writers. We all did. Uh, so, I mean, they're all really good. You know, it's hard. I'm Conan, obviously, very good. Uh, you know, I, I was the one that I, I remember when I started The Tonight Show. Um 13 weeks in, they were going to cancel Conan. And I went to, to Omar and I said, look, I'll, I'll promote the guy every night. I'll say who he has on. And, and it was great. And he's very funny, obviously. So they're, they're all different. It, it's hard to pick. I mean, Letterman, of course, you know, I don't want to leave anybody out. Oh, I noticed Jay didn't mention, you know, so I, if I let no, we're not going to trap I'm you. Saying, well, I did have my own late know, night show for six episodes and I think I'd be a great late night host. And I did stand okay, in for Jimmy Kimmel. So well, the real trick to doing it really is to be the host when you're doing the monologue and to listen when you, because a lot of times, a lot of people did this and they'd win the battle and lose the war. You know, a lot of times a, a guest would say something and you would uh, have a great topper. And then you realize, I don't want to throw that topper. Right. I don't want to be here than the guest is here. So you learn to pull back. And of course, Arsenio, Arsenio and I were great friends. Uh, but we had a period. I'll tell you a funny Arsenio story. But, yeah. We, uh, when we started, it was, uh, we were rivals and, uh, and Arsenio was on the cover and I'm going to kick Leno's ass, you know, all this kind of stuff. So when he debuted his show, I watched his first show and he had Brooke Shields on. He was very funny. And I, he said something along the lines of this, this, this show is going to be about the music, about the funk. You're not going to see Barry Manilow's ass on this show. You know, and everybody applauded her. Okay, so, you know, weeks go by, weeks go by, getting to be Christmas around the beginning of December. I see, let me see what Cineo's going on. He goes, tomorrow night, Barry Manilow will be on the show. I said, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> so the next day I called over, and we hadn't spoken, you know. So I said, hi, Jane, I don't, he doesn't want to speak to you. Just tell him, he doesn't want to speak to you. I said, just put Arsenio on the phone. I said, what do you want, man? What do you start yelling at me? I go, ooh, tomorrow night, Barry Manilow. <laughs> and he fell down laughing. And then we became friends again, and it was fine. I said, ooh, you want to see Barry Manilow's ass? And it made you realize, when you do a late-night show, you need every guest. You can't afford. Right, for sure. You need every single person that's out there. So that, that was sort of fun. I had no idea Arsenio was so cutthroat. 
No, no, no. It wasn't cutthroat. It was just the nature of the business. Nature of the beast. Uh, Moving away from The Tonight Show and on to just straight-up comedy. Megan Stone, ABC. Hi, Eliza and Jay Leno. Jay, with you serving on The Tonight Show for over two decades, you've watched the shifts in cultural opinions and sensitivities over the years. My question to you and Eliza is this. How has cancel culture shaped the entertainment industry and comedy throughout the years? When is cancel culture justified? When is it not? Is cancel culture here to stay or do you think it'll lose its influence? Love the pod. Well, we've always had some form of cancel culture. It's just, it's getting, you know, I can remember as a kid, people would do jokes about black people or, or Spanish people. Uh, that seemed very funny at the time. I remember Bill Dana used to be, my name, Jose Jimenez, and he would mm-hmm. be this uh, Latino character that wasn't very bright. And uh, okay. And people just, uh, and that disappeared then. That one for a few years, but by the mid 60s, well, this is, can't do this. Same thing with jokes about African Americans, same thing of jokes about uh, any other group. And, and now it's moved on to obviously uh, gay people and and every other, you know. But gay jokes used to be very common back in the 60s and 70s. Johnny would always mm, enlighten the loafers, <laughs> you know, all those kind of jokes like that. And those were seen as just jokes. And then, so, you know, here's my thing. Uh, tell me what the rules are and I'll follow them, okay? Ah. You know, I, I always use the, the uh, automobile industry as my, you know, in the 70s and the early 80s when they came in with emissions, the American automobile companies went to Washington with millions of dollars for lobbyists. We can't meet these goals. We can't do this. We can't have cars that pollute this little. It'll put us out of business. You'll lose jobs. The Japanese came in and said, tell us what the rules are. Mm. Tell us exactly what we can do and what we can't do. They took those rules and went back to Japan and they back, came back with cars that were fuel efficient and fast right. and powerful and good looking. Okay. Whereas we just wasted time trying to stop the train. You right. know? But the train is coming. Okay. So, you know, do what you got to do to make the ride the most comfortable. And that's the same thing. Obviously, sexist jokes used to be fairly common. Well, still are for a lot of comics, but they find out they're not getting work on. Look, if half the audience is going like this and they're not laughing. It's not funny. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No. I remember years ago, I was in West Virginia working a club and I was working with a guy who, uh, African-American comic who billed himself as Flip Wilson's cousin, whether he was or not, I had no idea. <laughs> he used to do, the audience was primarily white and he used to do black jokes like, uh, I'm not really colored. The lights in here are just very hot, you know, just stuff like that. And white people laugh, but when black people come, they'd be like this, <sighs> you know, and then when there were more than a dozen African-American in the audience, he got real uncomfortable on stage right. because he was ashamed of what he was, he was ashamed of his act. Right, you know? right, right. And, and he, he could see that, but you know something, you want that laugh, you know, getting that laugh is such a powerful thing that, that he was always conflicted, you know, and I don't know what happened, whether he drank himself to death. I never heard him again after that, but it's just one of those things you can do. I would see with female com- comedians, you know, there was nobody funnier than Phyllis Diller. Phyllis Diller was a great joke writer and she was an attractive middle-aged woman when she got into comedy. And I don't mean that as an insult. I just mean, she's an older lady and she's attractive, but because of, the network team, you'll be threatening to right. female viewers if you do attract. She had to make herself look 
corny and goofy and wild. And she was not ugly. Remember Bob Hope? Oh, she's so ugly. This was right. And she would like, <laughs> have this, this, this cackle. She was a lady. She was a woman. She, but unfortunately, that's what she had to do back in the day. But a great joke writer was really funny. I had her in the Tonight Show until she was, I think I had her on when she was like maybe 90 or 91. Wow. She came on the Tonight Show and she said, uh, she just did her act. Jay, had to, Jay, you know my husband, Fang, you know him? I go, yeah, yeah. Well, my, his, my mother-in-law is visiting. I go, your mother-in-law? <laughs> You're how 90. Old, <laughs> how old is this woman? And she thought that, and then she realized how ridiculous it sounded. So I mean, was she 150 yeah. years old? <laughs> so it was, yeah, I mean, she was really funny, but it, 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 was, it was tough because then you had to change her. You couldn't be, I believe I had a guy named... Uh, Bill Smith, first openly gay comic, if not on TV, certainly on The Tonight Show. And I remember he came out. His opening joke was very funny. He said, uh, he said, I'm gay. And the audience goes, ooh. He said, I'm currently seeing a psychiatrist. I'm also seeing a Navy captain. <laughs> and, and the audience, and from that point on, it's just comedy. Right. Thank you. Uh, he was smart. He was. He, he. I think he had a Lou Gehrig's disease or one. It's a horrible. He, he died. A very funny, very funny guy. Uh, and all. So you talk about cancel culture. You, you know, to me, it, it, it's just a matter of the pendulum swings one way, then it swings the other way, and it'll come back to center because for all the racist, sexist, homophobic jokes people used to do. That uh, swings this way. Nobody does them anymore, at least not without consequence. Right. And then it comes back to the middle where we can lightly sort of, we find where the goalposts are. You know, that's really what it comes down to. I, I don't find it to be that big a problem because when I started in comedy, you had to work clean. Mm -hmm. you, you couldn't work dirty. There's no place you could work. So uh, then clubs come in, you could loosen up a little bit. But now guys start out filthy and it's impossible to clean up a dirty joke. It's easy to make a clean joke dirty, but you can't make a dirty joke clean. Yeah. So I, I, to me, you just tell me what the rules are and I will follow them. And people go, oh, that's a sellout. No, it's not. Right. You, you, if a company hires you, like I always, I, I always meet comics say, I did this corporate event. They told me I couldn't say this, but I went out and I said it anyway. And I go, okay, so you, okay. So you never get hired by that company again. <laughs> Agent will never book you anywhere. I mean, if you have that integrity, don't take that job if you don't believe. Well, there's that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But but if if you're a working performer, my thing is you should be able to make everybody laugh. I mean, I booked myself once at Oral Roberts University just to see how that would go, you know. And it was fine. They just said, no sex jokes, no drug jokes. I said, okay. They laughed at the political stuff. They laughed at everything else is fine. They they just did for whatever reason. They just didn't want a sex show. You're the customer. You're paying. Fine. You're paying for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think cancel culture is getting canceled as we speak. I think people are tired of it. I think people have hit like their BS limit. And I think, I think dance with the one who brought you. And and I think it always comes down to integrity. Do yeah, the act that you want to do, and don't do it where it isn't wanted. That's right. And also, a lot of cancel culture is the news media making it more like this current, here's a story. Dr. Seuss is being pulled from the shelves. Right. You heard that. Yes. Right? 
Is that what you heard? That is what I heard. It's not. It's not. The publisher of the Dr. Seuss books with the Dr. Seuss family or whoever the relatives are said, you know, a lot of this stuff seems inappropriate in this day and age. Let's take it out. Oh, good idea. Okay. So before there was a problem or anybody complained, they took it out on their own. Right. But but there's no story in that. Right. The story is Dr. Seuss can't. I mean, that happens to me all the time. You know, I don't, I always find when someone asks me about the late night wars, I don't just answer the question reasonably. I either Leno lashes out. Right, right, right. Or Leno breaks his silence. If you listen to this broadcast, you know, I've never been silenced in my life. I, I you know, but but they always have to have this dramatic. Right. And you can answer in the most calm way possible. Leno lashes out and then they always get a shot of you like this. You know? <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. We got We got It's got to be sensational. Well, nobody likes things to go smoothly. It's always and no apology ever matters. We can talk about that for the, there's another part of the show. When you ask someone what language they took in school, usually it's like with an eye roll. They're like, "Mm, French. It's like, do you speak French? No, I don't use it. I feel like a lot of us had difficulties learning a language in school. Rosetta Stone is here to change that. It's available on desktop and it can be used as an app on your phone or your tablet. Rosetta Stone are trusted experts for more than 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with an intuitive process and you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. That's right. You might even fool some locals into thinking you're one of them. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. I headed to Mexico City for a little vacation, and I used Rosetta Stone to brush up on my Spanish. Just a few things, a few verbs that I knew I had forgotten, and I was better. Mejor. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Ask Eliza Anything listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Eliza. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Eliza today. I do think there's something to be said for ordering something of quality and every once in a while getting a nice package in the mail with a product that you're going to own for a long time. Let me tell you about Bolin Branch's signature sheets because they're the perfect way to start upgrading your sleep, your room, the look of your room because they're designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. They are made with the finest 100% organic cotton. These sheets feel buttery soft yet super breathable and they're perfect for warmer summer months ahead. We have a house that we go to in the summer and I got all Bolin Branch sheets for the beds because we're having a lot of guests this year and I want them to feel like they're at a nice bed and breakfast that they didn't have to pay for. Bolin Branch sheets are free from toxins like synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde. I bet you didn't know that was in your sheets. And their signature sheets come in 14 versatile colors and they come in sizes from twin all the way up to California King. And Bolin Branch has a 30-night worry-free guarantee, which means you can wash, style, and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them for any reason, you can send them right back with free returns on all U.S. orders. Sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bolin Branch. Go to bolinbranch.com slash Eliza for 15% off your first sheet set, plus free shipping. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com slash Eliza for 15% off. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Just downloading says, as host slash entertainers between live streams and TV shows, how do you deal with hecklers or just terrible people on your shows? I guess the, the question you for you, people, go ahead. You mean people in the audience? 
Yeah, like uh, when you, you do, uh, do you, you, I mean, I, I don't even get that many heckles, so I can't imagine you do, especially at a ticketed I, event. I don't get that many. Yeah. You know, crowds tend to think as a unit. Yeah. If you pick on one unfairly, the crowd will turn on you. Right. <laughs> uh, but for the most part, no, I, I don't find it to be a big problem. I always try to answer. Uh, so you had a question. What is it? <laughs> you, you know, you know, same way I did with psychos. You know, I'm sitting in my house one day, just watching TV. My wife's upstairs. Guy bursts through the front door. I want you to call Governor Schwarzenegger. I want you to tell you. He's screaming. You know, I said, I said, sit down, pal. Sit down, sit down. He goes, well, sit down, sit down. Okay, what can I do for you? And I hear my wife, Jay, everything all right? I said, yeah, a friend of mine is here, honey. So when the guy heard that, he just calmed down. I said, what do you need? And he had some crazy story he wanted to call. The, I said, I'm going to call the governor right now. I picked up the phone. You know, the, uh, it's after. Uh, no, but I said, I'll, I'll call. I said, you know something? I'm going to call tomorrow. Okay? Okay. Okay. Goodbye? Okay. All right, thanks. I'm sorry, burst in your house. I said, it's okay. He left, and I called the cops, and they picked him up like a block and a half away from my house. And he was fairly harmless. But uh, those type of people... Just, just give people a, a certain amount of respect, a certain amount of dignity, and when they calm right down, you know, like when I see homeless people, I always say, "You need some help, pal?" Oh, yes, sir. And they all say, "Yes, sir, I do." And you give them five bucks, okay? I don't throw them. You know, you always try. You, you try to give people a certain amount of respect or a certain amount of dignity, and they'll treat you the same way. You know, when Kevin and I went, Kevin and I did uh, in 2009 when Detroit went bankrupt, um, I called up the mayor and I said, uh, Kevin, my band, I want to, we want to come to Detroit, do some free shows. We want to do some free shows for, uh, you know, the out of work auto workers or whatever it was. Cause you know, most people hadn't been out of the house yeah. in, the, in six months or been on a date or something. And it uh, said, be just Kevin and I, can you give us a room somewhere? Can you give us a, so he gave us that that the silver that silver dome I think it was called, uh, it was twenty thousand people. We did two nights. We did forty thousand people, and we had eight security guards. And we gave people. You came in, Pepsi spawned. We gave them a Pepsi and a bag of Doritos, <laughs> and a comedy show. And Kevin playing jazz guitar. And we, and we just thought, oh boy, it's Detroit. And people said, you know, it's Detroit. You're gonna have crazy people. People screaming at you. They're gonna rush the stage. We only had eight security guards. That's all we could afford because it was a free show. 20,000 people came in. They sat. They watched the show. They applauded. And they left. Not one incident in two nights. Nothing. No pushing. No shoving. Because the idea was, hey, if you're out of work in Detroit, you just want to come out for a night of yeah. comedy. Gotta, come on. And it was great. And we got nice reviews. And people said, oh, wow, look at that. 20,000 people came to something without pushing and shoving or demanding something or grabbing the front row, whatever it might be. And it was, it was great. It was great. So I, I'm a, I'm an optimistic person. I, you know, society works because people are basically, I think, good. One out of every 600 people is a criminal. That's right. generally. And if you live in a community of 600 people and you don't catch that guy, you have a crime wave because every day that guy's breaking a window or stealing mm -hmm. something. Just that guy. It's not everybody in the town. You know, this is something people don't get, you know, like, you say, oh, the black community. No, there's some bad apples, but most people are pretty good. And most people are pretty nice, you know. And if you just treat people decently, I mean, that's why I think all this new policing stuff 
is good. Just learn to have, you know, when, when, when cops used to walk a beat or ride a horse around a neighborhood, they kind of interacted. Oh, they're a good kid. That's a nice family. Now everybody's in a militaristic squad car, you know. With, right. It's threatening. Sure. Well, threatening. You know, I look, at I, it's a bigger problem than I, and I can't solve No, no, it. Jay, we're going to solve it right here on this podcast. We're going to solve it right now. That's right. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, Sarah Word says, my grandma once told me that she was friends with your wife and they once decorated your house with tampons. She's also developing Alzheimer's. So she told me this and I don't know whether to believe her or not. Is it true? Uh, no, I don't know why we would decorate my house with tampons. That doesn't make any sense. No, that, well, <laughs> I mean, I would tell you if that happened. Uh, no, I, I, I can't, but that is Sorry. funny to get Jay. <laughs> My sister's a fan of yours. Then Jay, my mom is a fan of yours. Jay, my grandmother. My grandma fan. knows your wife. Well, and, and Sarah. And like, Jay, my grandmother, who died 10 years ago, was a fan <laughs> of yours. Watched you when she was growing up. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the tampon story, I, I don't believe is true. No. Well, Sarah Word, there, you can put it to rest. Your grandma made it up or con- conflated it with something else. Now on to the subject du jour, cars. Yeah. Tara Tate the Great. How do you keep track of all the keys to your cars, Jay? Well, I'm sure there are people with bigger problems. I mean. She wants to know how you do it. You just sort of write on the key which car it belongs to, you see. Where do they go? (laughs) Well, I have a a lockbox. Okay. All right. All right. There's your answer, Tara. Uh, Mally Dirt says, if you were forced, forced is a weird word, to keep just one car from your collection, what would it be? Okay, fortunately, we don't live in communist China, and I'm not forced to have just one car. That's, that's this is America. You can do whatever you want. One child, one car. I, I don't know. I don't know which one of you. Obviously, you have to be something practical because I'd have to carry lumber and people and do because I only have one. So it mm. probably one of the station wagons, probably. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Lucky to be lost says most regrettable car purchase and why. Most regrettable car purchase. Oh, I've had a bunch of them. A um, bunch, bunch of lemons? Uh, well, usually we fix what it costs more to fix than it was worth. That would be my definition of a lemon. But no, I, I can't think of anything that I... No, not really. I don't really regret it. No, I, I can't think of any I really regret. I guess because you're buying such high-end, nice cars. These aren't, it's not like you're going to a used lot and picking out like a Tercel. Well, no, actually like, a lot of the cars I buy are not high-end. They're, they're just regular people cars that have a great nice. story. I, oh, I buy okay. the story as much as I buy the car. I mean, a classic example of that is sitting right over there. I got a 67 Chrysler Imperial which is not a car I would have bought. But one day I'm sitting at home and I go, Jay, my name is Pupkin. I Pupkin. I said, how are you, sir? I'm 92 years old. I can't drive anymore. I want you to buy my car. I said, what have you got? It's a two-door Imperial with dual air conditions, front and back. You turn them both on, you're freezing in two minutes. I said, well, I said, where do you live? Sunset Boulevard, Beverly Hills. I go, oh, well, that's near me. You're right on Sunset? And he gives me the number. I said, yeah. You want to come over and see the car? I, I said, yeah. Okay. How about Thursday? Okay. So I go to this house. And just like the movie, there's a long driveway. I pull up. There's 93-year-old guys outside. He's got a smoking jacket with an ascot. Wow. And he's got with him a guy that looks like me now, about 70 with silver hair. He goes, Jane, this is my mechanic. He would service this car once a month at my home. Uh, but uh, he wants to retire. So I want to sell the car. I said, okay, but let me show you around. Turns out this guy was a movie producer. 
and he produced African-American films for African-American audiences. And he had all the great uh, black stars of the 30s and 40s. Uh, One of his most famous clients was a guy who just died at age 100. He was an African-American cowboy, a singer. I can't remember his name. But he had the the black James Bond, the black Cary Grant. Because that's... That's when movie theaters are segregated. And we walk into his house, and it is the house is immaculate in 1948. Exactly. 1948. Wow. So we walk in the living room, the picture of this beautiful woman, you know. And I go, oh, that's a pretty lady. Who's that? Hey, that's my wife. I said, oh, she's still with? Oh, yeah, she's in the bedroom. So we go over, he knocks on the door. He goes, honey, Jay Leno's here. She goes, I can't come out right now. I don't want. And he says to me, she doesn't look like that anymore. You know, <laughs> I said, well, she, I'm sure she's still beautiful. Yeah, she is, but she, she doesn't like people to see her. I said, well, man, that's okay. Okay. She had to be 90. Okay. So we go out and he opens the garage door and there's this 67 Imperial. And he goes, but if you buy this, you got to buy what's next to it. And he opens up the door. He had every spare part. He was so afraid he's going to have an accident. He bought extra windshield wiper motors, a couple of extra fenders, bumpers, everything you'd need if you had an accident in the car. But he never did. <laughs> and he said, you got to take all this crap. Okay, now I have to buy this Now you're car. happy. <laughs> I mean, the story is so good. And, and, and that's why I have it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's a great answer. Um, Sarah Von Paul says... I would love to know which K, which car Jay loves to haul ass in, which car he likes to cruise in, and which one he likes to show off the most. Well, I got some pretty fast ones. The McLaren F1 is a pretty fast car. Um, I mean, that's a car. You know, I bought that car in 98 for $800,000, and people said, oh, you're crazy to spend that on a car. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. The last offer I got was $17.5 million for it. One sold for $24 million in August. Wow. So, so it turned out to be a pretty good investment. Moose Mom 7. Hi, Eliza Baby. I'm Hot Scotty, Precious Snow Peach, and Jay. My question is this. What is the worst car you've ever owned? For me, it was my 1994 Nissan Sentra. It was a POS, and I bought it from my ex-boyfriend, and I drove it till the wheels fell off. Well, I I'm somehow think the ex-boyfriend is the key to this. <laughs> Sounds like the car was fine until the boyfriend became the ex-boyfriend. Yeah. I'm guessing perhaps the car was not maintained as well as it should have been. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So probably something, yeah. No, I, I like all my cars. I don't sell anything. I keep everything. What was your first car? My first car was a 1934 Ford pickup truck. I got it when I was 14. I spent two years fixing it up to be ready when I got my license when I was 16. Oh, that's so awesome. I love a truck. I did your show and you gave me a big, what was the kind, what was the truck? Do you remember what I drove on your show? The big Jeep. It's four wheel drive. Yeah. But it was called something else. It was like a Jeep that like a company had redone. It had like an Italian name. Oh, oh, Resvani. That's right. Oh, oh, yes, of course. The Resvani, which was uh, a Chrysler Jeep product that custom fenders, all sorts of custom body parts on it. Yeah. Resvani. it, It was like driving a bear and it was the most alive I felt all pandemic. Okay. So, a big part of the show is people writing in for life advice questions. And we have a very uh, female skewed, female skewing audience. But mm-hmm. I wonder if you might, in the brief time we have, uh, answer a couple of life so questions from yeah. some of our fans. Here yeah. we go. 
Hello, dear pod friends. Ask Eliza anything is getting me through everything right now. Thank you so much. Wednesdays are the best. I have a question. I have a real problem with self-confidence and perception, i.e. caring too much what others think or worrying I will be perceived in the wrong way. Even when I know I'm perfectly capable of something and should feel confident, I don't embrace that. Maybe it has to do with sexist notions still existing in society about women being perceived as bitchy if they're self-assured. How the heck... Can people with quiet self-confidence not get lost in the big old game of life where so frequently it's those who speak first and loudest that get listened to the most? I don't want to change who I am to compete, but I need some tips on how to boost my confidence and stop giving such a damn of how people perceive me. It's ruining my experience of being present in my own life. Help me, Jay Leno. (laughs) Well, I I think just the fact that you care what people think means you're probably attractive. You try to make yourself look as attractive as possible. You probably dress nicely because you obviously want to please other people. I mean, you sound like a very nice person. I mean, you sound like someone that I think any normal guy would want to meet because, oh, you care about what other people think. Uh, You know, you don't seem self-centered. You seem kind. Uh, You sound like you listen when other people speak. Um, I think you're probably doing pretty well. I mean, these, these are not things... I'm guessing you're successful at what you do. The fact that you question yourself is good. I mean, it shows that you don't think you're the end all be all to every solution. And it sounds like you try to, if there's a problem, you try to work to fix it. So uh, I don't, I think if you're any different, you wouldn't be the nice person that you are. So you just gotta be you. Yeah, just just be you, I think that's pretty It's okay to not be loud. You should be you. Jay, we've got a dating question. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Here we go. We've got two questions, then we do top of the cob, and then the show is over. Samantha Ray. Samantha underscore Ray underscore says, I'm a 23-year-old female, and I recently started using Bumble. Jay, you're familiar with Bumble? Uh, Go ahead. What is that? It's the... It's a dating app, but where the girl has to make the first move. Okay. So the guy can't pick her. The girl has to initiate combo. Okay. Okay. She says, I matched with a guy, he's 27, and we've been talking pretty consistently for the last two weeks. His profile included his first name, his college, and a picture of him in his high school football jersey. I use this info to find him on Facebook and Instagram, but his dating app pictures look nothing like him. He used all pictures of himself, but every single one of them is five plus years old, and he did not age well. Is this catfishing? Do I have the right to be upset? Do I address it or do I just stop talking to him? He messages me and I haven't responded. Um, <laughs> really unattractive. I mean, have you met the guy? I mean, she hasn't met him. I, I mean, I would at least try to meet him in person in some public place just to get a feel for. I mean, maybe he's not confident and, you know, you don't want some cocky guy who just thinks he's, you know, God's gift to women. I, I mean, he might just be a, a guy like that previous woman who doesn't have enough self-confidence. So I'll send another, you know, I would take a chance. I mean, think about it. You've been talking with him. You like what he says. You like what he does. You like his attitude. You're just curious about what he looks like. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think you should meet fairly soon. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like you have a lot in common. I mean, Take a chance. I mean, see what it is. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would, uh, I would go there for it. There you go. Take a chance. Meet him in a public place. And if you see him coming from a thousand yards away and he's a hideous fish monster, just run away. He'll never know. Or just, just say, you know, I mean, you're out as always. You know, you aren't honest with me. There you he's go. Because of somebody that wasn't you. And oh, I, 
I enjoyed talking with you. I'm just hurt that you weren't honest, honest with me. And that's why I want to break this off. You know, that's exactly way, right. That, that way there's no hard feelings. Yeah. I love that. Last one. Mm-hmm. Anonymous says, so I met a guy on a dating app and I thought we hit it off right away. He was very cute, a great conversationalist and an amazing kisser. Jay. We went on three dates back in October and then he ghosted me. I was disappointed and a bit annoyed, but I moved on. Now in March, he just texted in March. He texted me again saying, Hey, it's me. Not sure if you remember, but I was just curious why we stopped talking. If you're not interested in me, that's fine. Uh, he goes, he said he was just sad when I didn't reply. I told him he's the one who ditched me, but he insists he sent me a message about making plans and I never responded. So I think he's lying. Uh, well, is the, if I, sh- go ahead. I think technical problems happen mm, when you're yes. talking via computer. I mean, why else? Would, you know, we're talking about young people here. And sometimes you meet the right person too soon before you've met other people. Maybe this guy met you, liked you, fairly inexperienced. Well, let me see what else is out there. Had a few bad experiences and realized you know something the girl I really like is this one. I mean, I'm always amazed at people that, that give folks one chance. Look, if you're dating a guy that's 45 or 50 years old, okay, I get it. When you're dating someone in their early 20s, not every guy is some sort of sexual athlete or whatever. You know, I, I always, you know, I always watch these movies where teenagers go on a first date and you know the just having oral sex and doing all these things. And, and you think, well, most kids don't do that on a first day, except for you. <laughs> most most don't do that on a first day. I mean, no, to, no. I, would, I would give them a chance. I would say, you know, let's, can we, can we, uh, let, let's meet, let's meet in person. Let's see what this is. And, and just be honest, but that's what I'm probably guessing happened. Maybe he met someone else. And when you're young and immature, you do stupid things. And yeah, uh, I, I get it. I, 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 Jay's advice has been consistent through the whole podcast, which is treat people like people, give people a chance, benefit of the doubt, be nice. Let's say he sent a message. Let's say he didn't, whatever. What if this guy's the one and you're holding out for no reason? This is my dating advice. I've been married 41 years and this is what I used. Yeah. I always tell people, marry your conscience, marry the person you would most like to be. I'm in show business, which is sort of a selfish uh, profession. So I married someone who works with animals, who who works with helping uh, women's issues around the world. My wife got a uh, a Nobel Peace Prize nomination. I'm very proud of her for that. Wow. Uh, Working with women in Afghanistan and help people. Okay. She's doing all the things. If I wasn't a selfish comedian, I (laughs) I, I wish I could do. So now I have someone who I can look up to and admire. And hopefully there's some reciprocity there. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I remember meeting a, a guy told me once he, he met this girl. He goes, she's crazy. She's crazy. But the sex is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I said, okay. <laughs> but when the sex is over, she's still crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and now you have 23 hours of crazy until the sex wheel comes around again. Okay. <laughs> you got to look at it that way. Okay. You got to try and got to find some balance, a little crazy, but a little sensible. You know, try and find something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm torn between calling this episode sexual athlete, which is what you just said, or sex wheel. <laughs> I don't <Or> know. <laughs> behind every successful man is a woman and behind every unsuccessful man, there are two women. <laughs> and, and that's, 
that's kind of the way life is. Truer words. Well, this brings us to the end of the show, and we have a segment called Top of the Cob. It's the top of the cob. We're doing it right every day. You just take a bite, top of the cob. Well, first of all, I always, I never shoot for happiness. I always shoot for contented. Because happiness is like champagne. If you drink it every day, you're an alcoholic, and pretty soon you don't appreciate it anymore. So right. you have it occasionally. Happiness is something that happens once in a while. But if you're content, you're content. You're calm, you're relaxed, with fits of happiness in between that. And right. that's much what I shoot for. But okay, and what's what am I supposed to do? Name something? So, so you're top of the cob. It can be, I can, I'll go first, just so you yeah. can get the scale. Uh, For sometimes it's an interaction. Sometimes it's something I did. Today, my top of the cob is every night before bed, I have warm milk with turmeric in it and it puts me to sleep. And if I feel like I'm in a Dickens novel, but it's really soothing. Warm milk with turmeric. What's your top of the cob? That would be my nightmare. (laughs) Um, Making, you know, making my wife laugh is probably the top of the thing for me. I, I like to at least once a day, I make my wife laugh. You know, uh, I mean, the other night it was like two o'clock in the morning. And I feel this, my wife goes like this. And I go, what? She goes, honey, I just want to tell you I love you. Oh and, I went, and I went, you're having a nightmare. Go back to bed. <laughs> she, thought that was the, she thought that was the funniest thing. I said, honey, you're just having a nightmare. Go back to bed. And she thought that was a funny. And to me, that made me, and I and I like that because I had a nice sentiment in there. <laughs> well, I got a joke in and I made her laugh. And, you know, just little things like that. You know, I that, love that's, that. that's the top, yeah. I love that. Okay, and your bottom of the cob. Uh, my bottom of the cob this week is... Um, the, the that the demand for apologies publicly because I don't think anyone's ever apologized and the group that's offended went, okay, you know what? We believe you're not racist. Thanks so much. So it's all performative and uh, and, and everything just gets picked apart. So I don't believe but, that they're authentic. But, but you know, apologies can be, you know, I told a story once about um, Susan... Uh, Oh, you know, with the floor master. I mean, the thigh master. Susan Summers. Susan Summers. (laughs) Suzanne Summers, yes. Suzanne Summers, okay. A story I told a bunch of times, and it wasn't true. And she sent me an angry letter. Was it about wrapping your house in tampons with your wife and a grandma? And I I called her up and I said, you know something? This is a story that I heard from agents and other people. And I realized... People just telling this story, I don't know whether because you're a woman and you wanted more money or whatever it was. But I I did repeat the story and I said, I apologize profusely. And if you'd like me to apologize on your website, I certainly will. I repeated something I just assumed was true. I found out it's not true and I'm ashamed that I did it and I apologize. And she couldn't have been nicer because she knew it was a sincere apology. And she said, yeah. thank you so much. And uh, okay, so I, I have no problem with apology. It's just that when they're phony, that's you what know, I'm saying. You know, to me, I always love it when I read like some rapper, you know, yo, that bitch, just slap that bitch upside the head, motherfucker. Duh, duh, duh. And then the apology. We deeply regret any instance which my client made. And you realize some lawyer wrote. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and no one's thing. sorry. And everyone's just right. saying it so they don't get sued. That's what I'm talking about. A personal apology is one thing. Demanding right. apologies. You're just like, who is this for? So that's my bottom of the cob this week. Jay, what's your bottom of the cob? Bottom of the cob is um, 
Oh, you know, arguing and fighting with somebody over something that's, you know, I didn't grow up in a house where people yelled and screamed. When I was a kid, I could never watch TV, TV shows like Maud where husband and wife just yelled at each other because my parents never did that. So mm. I, 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 I never fight at home. I never have an, I don't think my wife and I have ever had a real, maybe a couple little things. But, you know, this idea that uh, you have this terrible fight and then you have makeup sex. And, uh, I, I don't have terrible fights. I, I know how to fight fair. And so does my wife. You, don't, you know, my wife and I went, went on a double date with another couple. And they were arguing in the back seat. And the woman said to the guy, well, you know, you're a terrible lay anyway. And I realized, okay, now you've said something you can never take back. Okay, that's one of those things. And they broke up. They got divorced right after that. Uh, but it, it was one of those things. There's no coming back from that kind of thing. Right. Whether the man says it or the woman says it, anytime you're intimate, it's going to, oh, this is what's going through their mind. Right, 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 right. Okay, so you just learn how to fight or argue fairly. You know, you don't say things that you cannot take back. You don't say things you can't take back. And if you do, you can... Give a heartfelt apology and see where it gets you. Uh, Jay Leno, thank you so much for coming on my podcast again. Yes. Thanks, everybody, for the question, okay? We loved having you and their fans, and I'm a fan, and I can't wait to see the show. You guys, for those of you, uh, Jay Leno's Garage is on YouTube and CNBC, and you don't have social media because you don't need it. See you later. Thanks. Thanks, Jay Leno. Bye. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.